and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and today's team that we're previewing, it's Arsenal Football Club. It's Arsenal. So Taylor's not here, so I'll be calling up Zito Madu. Zito's a guy who's been on the show before. He's someone who I, I really enjoy his take on the game. It's a mix of sort of analysis and just taking pleasure in soccer. If you've seen his series of nutmeg tweets, nutmeg videos on Twitter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So we get into um, everything that's going on with Arsenal. Why Zito is excited about the Pepe signing. Why it's so hard to figure out what Unai Emery's tactical style is, where Mesut Ozil does or does not fit in, and what the expectations are for Arsenal this season. Towards the end of this show, we also uh, talk about Alejandro Bedoya. You, of course, will know that Alejandro Bedoya picked up the field mic and asked Congress to end gun violence now. So we have a really interesting conversation about where MLS stands regarding uh, players expressing themselves and fans expressing themselves, and the dangers that MLS open themselves up to by attempting to be apolitical. So that is towards the end of the show. But first, there's lots of Arsenal talk. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Zito Madu. Hey, Zito, it's Daryl. Hey, how are you? Good, how you doing? I'm all right. All right, what are you up to today? Oh, not much, just reading. Reading, all right. What are you into? Uh, Just this. Just an old book. I'm supposed to be doing a project, and it's like a book for research, I guess. Yeah, you strike me as someone who spends a lot of time sitting around reading in a good way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's most of my life. <laughs> and watching some Arsenal. Yeah, you know, that's that's what the reading is for to get away from the terrible, terrible experience of supporting that team. Oh dear. Okay, you're not feeling good. Not feeling good about it. Uh, well, no. I just like. Well, I, I always make this joke every season that. The relief of the season ending is always ten times better than like the excitement for the season to begin. Because before, like during the summer, everybody's like excited to see the team again. <laughs> and by mid season you just want the whole thing to be over with. Oh. All right. Do you mind if we just roll into the interview then? And we'll we'll keep this as the first part of the interview? Because it's interesting to get your sort of emotions about the about the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. All right. So we'll do it like uh, you heard the Mark Maron podcast. We'll do it that style where, you know, you just pick up uh, mid-conversation. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, let's. I tell you what. One of the big things I want to ask you about, though, is uh, new signings. Um, so I want to talk yeah. Pepe. So what? Seventy million pounds, ninety million dollars. Um, did you get excited about Pepe signing from Lille? And like, have you had a good look at him? What What do you think? Yeah, I'm always excited about like players who can dribble <laughs> and <laughs> add some creativity to it. So that was, that's always nice, especially when. I think the problem that we used to have, especially with like Ozil out, is somebody who can, you know, take the ball forward or bring the ball forward to the forwards. And there's like just having an exciting talent, like an exciting creative talent there is always fun, especially with it seems that Iwobi might go to Everton. Oh, I so know we don't have too many. Yeah. So they bid 30 million for him. And I think they might come back with 40 million because we rejected a 30 mil bid. So. It's nice to have a player that can actually dribble because I don't think Arsenal has too many of those. Is is this? Um, I, I remember you describing your personal playing style to me, and you you were a bit of a dribbler, yeah. right? Um, is this just yeah, a personal it's, it's preference? It's literally thing? the same thing. Is this a personal preference yeah, thing, well, or is it? Or is it what? Or is it what's effective for Arsenal? Is that are those two different things, or are those the same thing? 
Uh, I feel like it's one of those things that can <laughs> hit both categories at once <laughs> because it is a personal preference, and I just like seeing creative players like dribblers because that's who I am. But it is it's also an arsenal thing because I think dribblers are the rare commodity in football that is like you can't you can't replace it. A player that can take on one or two defenders. It's it's almost the difference when you have like when you put in somebody like Leroy Sané onto the field or like Raheem Sterling and you can you can basically destroy a game plan if a player can beat multiple defenders at once and so Arsenal never has that and what you what you end up with Arsenal a lot of times is that they become predictable of okay we're going to pass 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 until and if the and the the team that we're playing is like has decided to defend like in low blocks then there's nothing you can do but if, if you have a player that can unlock that defense which is you know, being able to beat one or two defenders, then it, it brings a lot of chaos into it. So how, it is a personal preference because they're fun to watch. How confident are you that Pepe can do that in the Premier League as successfully in as in League One? Because it is a more competitive league, right? I, I don't subscribe to the like Farmers League dismissive thing of League One. I think it's very competitive, but um, it's definitely tougher in the Premier League, right? I feel like someone's more likely to knock you over in the Premier League. Yeah, that's true. But like I've seen, I think that we've seen players come from uh, France, especially Lille, uh, to the EPL and, like, replicate what they've done. Like, uh, Eden Hazard is just like that. Like, that's the same team that he came from. Yeah. And who do we have before? Gervinho? Even though he had his problems, the the last of his problems was that he could beat defenders. Like, he can consistently beat defenders. He just had no idea what to do after that. Yeah. And so I remember I think... a lot of going past people and then shooting wide, right? Yeah, so as long as like that, that's one of those skills that is more about timing. So once you get comfortable with how fast the players are, then like your body just like reacts to that timing more than it is about like just lack of talent or lack of skill. Like dribbling is one of those things, like once you pick up the pace of the game, you still retain it. It doesn't go away. So I think he he will acclimate like well to it after one or two months all right so now you've got me pumped to watch arsenal because i'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna be watching pepe, <laughs> pepe dribble at people yeah this could be more exciting what about um how does yeah. he fit in with obama yang and lacazette Do, can all three play together at once i think they can as long as like i think obama yang and lacazette have already proved that they they work really well together and now you've added a third dimension who doesn't really conflict with their talent like Lacazette is really good at holding the ball up. He's a really good finisher and like he's really good at close control. Obama Yang is makes like very good runs and he's like fast, et cetera. He's a good finisher. And now you have a a more creative it's like a creative version of the three, right? So like the fact that they all have different strengths is what makes them work. Because if they played similarly, then it would conflict. But the fact that they're all different, I think, makes makes that a perfect trio there. All right, so I'm convinced that their styles complement each other, but what about literal positions in the 11? Like how do you see it how do you see them lining up in terms of who goes where? I think you put Obama Yang out to the left, wide left just because that's just where his strength is and then he can always come inside. Lacazette, of course has to play forward and then you put Pepe in the right because he's left-footed and I love left-footers who cut inside. Does Emery feel the same way? Is this a Zito thing or is this an Emery thing? Uh, I'm not sure Emery feels the same way. To be sure, like to be fair, I don't, like half of the time, especially last season, I wasn't even sure what Emery was doing with our front line when he wouldn't play Lacazette and Obama Yang together. And then the time where he wouldn't play Torreira, even though Torreira was like, ends up being our best 
or one of our best midfielders. So I'm not really sure what he's going to do. I think he's going to do the very Emery thing of trying to mount in different style in different ways before like the most obvious situation, you know, makes itself like the, the one that he has to go with, but we'll <laughs> see. He's, he's sometimes a madman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to ask you about Emery later, like to try and, to try and figure out what his preferred style is. I know it's a difficult question. So I want to sort of give you a heads up that that question's coming in like 10 minutes or so. Um, so <laughs> a couple of the signings, uh, Gabriel Martinelli, um, I've got to confess, I'd never heard of him. Like, how much do you, do you know about Martinelli? And like, do you know what type of player he is? And do you expect him to feature prominently this year? I I did not actually know about him the same as you. So um, when I when I saw him, I was like, okay, well, he's fairly young though. Like, he's eighteen, so he's at the age where he's still he's eighteen, and most people haven't heard about him. I don't think most Arsenal fans. So it's just like, ah, uh, I think players like that can just be a nice surprise. <laughs> whereas like if he ends up being amazing and that's fine but if he ends up not being amazing Arsenal has had a lot of like talented young players who turned out not to be as good as you expect so I'm firmly in the camp of if this guy is great I'm super happy about it if he's not great then it's really not that much of a, a loss to try something out like that okay so it sounds like we're not expecting him to start first week but you, we might see him throughout the season and we'll just like we'll find out what he's all about as we go yeah, yeah. Once I, I think in the League Cup, of course, is where he's going to feature more yeah. prominently at, and then, then we'll see. What about uh, Danny Ceballos? So on loan from Real Madrid, most people seem to think this is a, you know, a, a really good bit of business, like getting him for, I assume, free or for a small loan fee. Yeah, I think the the only thing that bothers me about it is that the fact that it's not one of those loans with an option to buy, right? Because he is really good. <laughs> And I think most Real Madrid fans were kind of bummed that he was leaving. But it's like the it's very good business because Arsenal can need, needs a creative player like that. It's, I think after we lost Santi Cazorla a long time ago, we have we really haven't had somebody that can can like permanently dictate play in the way that Danny can. Mm. And so it's just like okay, well now now we can actually have somebody who can like control the tempo of play, make like the really difficult passes without you know being. Uh, being like a granite Jaco who he can make really good passes, but he can also pass it to the other team and start a counterattack. Yes, I have definitely <laughs> so, seen I've definitely seen that happen. So are you expecting Sabias to play like uh, deeper in midfield? Like what, what sort of role is he gonna be what sort of positions is he gonna be taking up? Well that's the thing that I'm curious in because now we have like a lot of midfielders that I think are complement each other, but there's certain there's certain combinations that can't play together. Right, like I think we realized last year that Jaka and like Gundizi uh, couldn't play together, right? Because they have, like, they both have like strengths that seem to complement each other, but their weaknesses are exactly the same. Where <laughs> neither of them is physical or could cover or t- make a tackle to save their lives. Yeah, that's why you're pro. <laughs> and, that's why you're pro uh, Terrera, right? Because he can do all that. Yes, yeah, I'm very pro Terrera because you could play either one of those two with Terrera and it works. Yeah. But if you play those two together, it's a disaster every single time. <laughs> and so I think with if you play Terrera and like Sabayas and if you want to play midfield three, then you have to choose between one of those other two. But I think it depends on who he plays with, though. What about, um, I saw that uh, Arsenal need centre-backs, right? So Lonka Shoney, 
um, somewhat famously has made that move to Bordeaux. Have you seen the, <laughs> the introduction video where he takes off the Arsenal jersey and reveals the Bordeaux jersey underneath? Yeah, that, which, that which is good. hilarious. Oh, I don't, I don't well, see why you have, have to jab Arsenal. It, well, it's, it's, a, it's weird because Arsenal has to have done something to really piss him off because he's been like <laughs> such a great servant to the club. Like he's been one of the biggest, like the one of the mainstays at the club for a long time. And like fans loved him and he loved the team. And so there has to have been something that happened that was so bad that he was comfortable doing something like that. And I know fans usually take the side of the club in situations like this. But to see somebody like him do an about face in that manner yeah. means that some, there's something that we don't know about. Could it uh, could it be that thing of um, them promising he could leave maybe last season and then almost not letting him leave this season? That maybe he was made promises were made and almost weren't kept. Yeah, like I thought that was like very. Like, it's it's one it's, it's one of those things that when fans see it, they say that it's good business because you you do want to keep a center back like that and like sell him for more. But it's also is is is. Going back on a promise that you've made a player who's the captain of your team and who served you for almost a decade is is like it's just like bad. It's it's a thing that I don't think happens in the Wenger era, right? Yeah. Where Wenger's like if he makes a promise to a player, he usually keeps that promise even if it's like detrimental to like the business of the team. It's just also about keeping like keeping a, a good spirit about the team, like saying that Arsenal stands for a specific thing when it comes to, like, morality or, like, when it comes to, like, being bigger than just, like, a football club. Yeah. So it's that, it's that like, ruthless business. And, I'm, I like, it's something that I'd never want Arsenal to just be, of just, like, the team that's, like, all about business that has no more emotionality to it. And I think that's the thing that uh, uh, Shani is, like, no, you made this promise, you should keep it, especially since I've, like, served this team for this long. And so it's something that, like, just rubbed me the wrong way, and I don't want Arsenal to become that type of team. And in terms of just like personnel, it's it's one fewer defenders, right? So I saw that yeah. Arsenal spent some decent money, like twenty five million pounds or so, on uh, William Saliba, but then loaned him straight back to Saint Etienne. So <laughs> I guess that's that's one for the future. And then this morning, I saw a David Luiz rumor. I saw a, a David Luiz to Arsenal rumor. Have you seen this the story? Yes, and I think during the transfer season, that should be it. Should be always be one transfer story that means that we have to shut everything down and wait till the last day. Because once I saw the Luis to Arsenal, I was like, okay, look, this is when the things have gotten too absurd and I no longer want to pay attention to this. <laughs> it, it came out of nowhere and it's just like, Luis is no longer training with Chelsea. He's trying to put, push a move to Arsenal. And I was like, where is this coming from? Why is this happening? It's, it's like, okay, I love him. And I think he's like, he's one of those players who's, who's like, particular mistakes end up being the picture of them as a whole when it shouldn't be. Yeah. Because when he's not doing his, like, nonsensical things, which he makes, like, one or two or three blunders every season. But generally, he's, like, a very capable defender, and he's a very good passer from the back. And so a lot of times he, people have determined that he's, like, this clown player. And I've written about him a couple of times of, like, because of these, because of his mistakes have been so hilarious and like sensationalized <laughs> that people forget how good he is or how good he's been especially like when he was at PSG he was a very good defender and then you know Marquinhos cam- comes up and it's like well you could get rid of him now but even at Chelsea it's like he for most of the time he's a very stable defender and then he makes one big mistake and then people are just like ah 
he's a clown. But I still don't want him at Arsenal. Like, <laughs> I would like for us to go for somebody younger and, like, somebody just as capable but younger, right? Because yeah. I don't want – there's no point in, like, replacing – replacing Kashani and then just getting a player who's over 30 as well. Well, maybe the idea is Louise as a sort of stopgap and Saliba for the future? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I think that could work then. But so still, we'll, I would want them to be more sensible about this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll follow that story um, as, it, as it develops. The other big exit for Arsenal was obviously Aaron Ramsey for $0 going, going to <laughs> Juventus. How much will Arsenal miss Aaron Ramsey? I think Ramsey was such a particular player for us, and I really, really liked him because he's one of those midfielders that can drive the ball forward, and he's really good at combination play, and he's, like, dangerous in a final third. And so he's he's just, like, an all-action midfielder, even if he's not, like, the best, you know, tackler, ball winner. But it, it, he's, like, a very particular thing that midfield is so rare midfield. And when, once you have it, it's... You don't really understand how much you have until it's gone. So when you have a midfield where you have a player like him who could drive the ball forward, who could play combination with the forwards, and who can also score, and then you get rid of him, and then you have, like, Benduzzi and, like, uh, Zaka, who can do other things, but they're just not that well-rounded. And then you realize how, like, rare this thing is. And Pog was another player that could do that, where it's like, he's not just a passer, blah, blah, blah. He can actually take defenders on and, like, go forward. And so it's really hard to find those type of players, but I think I think what Arsenal might be doing is moving away from that in midfield and just, you know, with Pepe on the wing and that, having these all-action forwards, you could just get the ball to them as fast as possible and let them do what they have to. So the, like, mid, I, the midfield is more, miss, like, functional, workman-like, and it's it, just about getting the ball to that front three. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's a fine tactic to go with. But I will. I do think that we'll miss Aaron Ramsey, especially when we go up against midfielders who, you know, are not going to let our midfield dictate play like that. So you do need somebody who can unlock it from midfield and drive the ball forward. So what happens then with Mesut Ozil? So if if you are going to have the sort of more functional three man midfield, does Ozil end up as one of those wingers? Because I know I know Emery asked him to play like right wing quite a few times, right? Uh, last season and yeah. he sort of begrudgingly did it is that still the plan that you know i'm not sure what he's gonna do with them because they just have this very contentious relationship and the the big problem with ozil and i've i think i've written about this as well is that well first of all like him playing right wing kind of like nullifies his biggest strength which is being able being able to like get the ball to the forwards blah 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 right yeah and so, like, last year when he played right wing, he was almost ineffective. Like, his, his all of his statistics went down tremendously. Then, and if you even looked at the few times that he was in the middle, he was so much more effective than every time that he was on the right wing. And so, but the thing about having him, like, out of the team, especially last year, is that without him in the team, we don't have anybody who can make, like, really penetra- penetrative passes. And I think even in mid... Uh, like preseason so far, I think the goal that Aubameyang scored against Barcelona, he got the ball, he got the ball on the left wing and he made like a very like driven long pass that curled around like two defenders and found Aubameyang. Yeah, I saw this, I saw this, this yeah. Yeah, and it's like, he is literally the only player that we have on the team that can make these type of passes consistently. Except now that we have Danny, but like we're, like Danny is still, 
as much as as good as he's supposed to be, you haven't. You, he's not yet a known quality in the Arsenal team. But for Ozil, you've had many years where you've seen he's one of those players that he has like very obvious weaknesses. But once you take him out, you realize how much like his strength helped the team and being what it is. Yeah. And every time that we took him out, we found it really hard to create or really hard to get into the final third. And like every offense, even with Obama Yang and Lacazette playing really well, you found out that like Arsenal just cannot progress the ball into the final third without somebody of his quality, especially when it comes to passing. So, so the- I'm really concerned about his role with the team, I guess, because I'm not sure what he's going to do. So what what are the weaknesses that you see? Because I assume that they're the sort of they're the origin point of the any contention with Unai Emery, right? So what is it that Ozil mm-hmm. doesn't do? And I, I'll be honest, I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear your take on it. Oh, he just he doesn't work hard. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a, he doesn't track back. He doesn't win the ball. I, he has instances where he does, but that's just not his game. Right. And he's just and he's also one of those people. One, it's the thing of a lot of times when he does do it, then you realize that he's too tired to do the things that he's actually good at. <laughs> and so you, you just have a problem with him of like, if you make him do these things that you want him to do, then he's going to not be as effective at the things that he's really, really good at. Oh, that's and, a terrible enigma. But, that's, that's like some terrible Greek tragedy. Yeah. But my, th- my favorite thing about him or the thing that I think that is always so frustrating with him is, he is so good when the ball moves very quickly and like when the team that he's in attacks fast because what what you would want in that situation is a play a player who can make like a perfectly weighted through ball and like is really good at like slicks to get the ball to another to a teammate. Yeah. And the goal that came with Obama Yang came exactly from that where the team was counterattacking and he flicks the ball I think he flicks the ball to a midfielder, makes a run to the left and gets it back and makes the pass to Obama Yang. Once the ball is moving fast, he's just, like, phenomenal. But once it slows down and then you have to, like, try to pick a defense apart, he could do it, but it, like, really nullifies his strength. So I think if Arsenal attacks faster, unlike last, unlike last season, then he'll be very, very good at the team. But if, if, if it turns into, like, the really workmanlike situation, then I think it's going to be contentious again between him and Emery. So now the tough question. What is Unai Emery trying to do in terms of tactics and playing style with Arsenal like what you know how like you can watch a Jurgen Klopp team you're like okay that they're playing Klopp style soccer or Guardiola they're doing a Guardiola thing um what is the Unai Emery thing what's he trying to do well I I think that was like the million dollar question last season wasn't it where (laughs) he comes in and he says that he's gonna pull back the attack a little bit and then he's gonna make sure that Arsenal work harder win the ball press harder and like are better in defense and then it's like Arsenal, with the defensive personality that they have, just was not good, right? Like, you still, you can't try, I, I think in, in a way to try to help the defense, he nullified the attack a little bit, right? But then the defense was still shambolic. <laughs> so <laughs> you had this weird thing of like, well, now the attack isn't that good. And then the defense is still very bad. So you're just like, at least the, the most you could do is like go to like the club first two seasons where it's like, well, we're just going to outscore you because we're probably not going to be able to stop you completely. And then they got Van Dyke and then they're like, okay, well, we can do both now. So I don't think we've, the Emery thing is like still a very confusing situation because nobody really knows what type of team an Emery team is beyond like what we had last season, or at least an Emery Arsenal team is beyond what we had last season, which was a really, 
an attack that depended on two individual quality, like two individual players being, you know, like superstars, a midfield that was kind of like in turmoil a lot and a defense that once the ball comes to Mustafi, you might as well just get very <laughs> religious about what is going to happen. Next. So uh, I don't know. Like, I think we'll figure it out this season, hopefully because he's getting the players that he wants, yeah. I hope. And so we'll find out what type of team he wants to build. But for now, I think everybody's still in the same space. Like, we don't really know what type of team he wants. I think it's going to be really interesting, especially the Ozil thing of if he does go with like a more, um, just a, like a three-man midfield that's just, just there to feed the strikers, there's no real role for Ozil in that, right? Cause he's, because like you said, he's not no. going to do the work. So may, is it possible that maybe Emery, because I remember him changing formations a lot, right? So is it possible that sometimes mm. he'll switch it up and go with like two midfielders behind Ozil and then Ozil's got more of a free role? But then maybe if it's against a tougher opponent, there's just no role for Mesut Ozil. Uh, and so he has to miss out while we go with uh, a more, should we say, like sensible, hardworking central midfield. I think because he does switch formations a lot, that one that could be very much an option. And the thing with Ozil, which was funny last season, is like every time he sat out and the team struggled, it was it was almost so funny to see Emery reluctantly go back to him. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, you don't want this guy in the team, but like your team doesn't function well without like without an individual like that to feed passes to the forwards, right? And to control play. Yeah. And so I think it's one of those things is like, he's a really, really talented player. So if you do go with like the two workmen, the two workmen behind them and then Ozil in the middle, then you probably will have like a wonderful attack with Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. But also you're, you're, sacri- you're making sure that you sacrifice that, that type of like workman quality with him playing that free role. And you risk you risk being maybe outnumbered in midfield, right? If you're playing, say, Liverpool, and they have those three central midfielders that work so hard, uh, then you're probably uh, probably outnumbered, right? Because Ozil's floating around, and then it's like uh, maybe Torreira and Ceballos or Torreira and Xhaka up against three Liverpool midfielders, and you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, and, like the hilarious thing about him as well is like, there are certain games where he'll play against one of those big teams and just like be phenomenal, right? He'll play against Chelsea and then he'll just like all of a sudden Conte can't get a, like a hold of him. Yeah. And then he'll play against Liverpool and just completely disappear. They're like, well, what, what are we supposed to do with that? Where sometimes you seem like a liability. Other times you seem like the greatest midfielder to ever live. Have you- and so, so I think, what, I think with most teams, in the Premier League, you can play him, but when it comes to when it comes to those bigger teams with like more physicality, more working like quality, you have to decide if like it's, it's like almost a gamble of like I don't know if you're going to show out today or if you're going to be if you're going to disappear. So, so there is uh, there's, the, there's the rumor that his people are talking to DC United. Um, I'm not sure if if you've seen that. Um, I don't know how concrete yeah, that yeah, is, but say if he left in January. Um, given the sort of complex relationship a lot of Arsenal fans have with Mesut Ozil, uh, would you be happy that he's gone so that you don't have to think about this sort of enigmatic puzzle anymore? Or would you be sad that he's gone because Mesut Ozil is no longer an Arsenal player? Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> if he leaves, <laughs> like when, the, when I saw the DC United rumor, I just closed Twitter and I was like, I'm not paying attention to this. <laughs> this just has turn, just turned like, your phone over. To the point where, yeah, I'm just like, it's not good for my mental health to even consider this happening. <laughs> and so, 
he's he's just one of those players that I really really adore, and of course he's like done so much for the club too. Whereas like like I'm not even gonna entertain the possibility that it's gonna happen, and if it does happen, I'm just gonna repress the memory so much <laughs> that I'm, I'm it's only gonna hit me like five years afterwards. Oh wow! I'll I'll check in with you five years from January then. Make sure you're okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We interrupt this Arsenal conversation to call my island friend. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello. My goal for every one of these is to just be more and more reclined to the point where I'm just like fully laid back and then I'm kind of inaudible. And uh, right now I'm getting close to that. So there you go, Daryl. You've, you've got me full island mode. Are you, are you fully reclined right now? Uh, close to it. Close to it. And, oh, I have, right. and I have a tiny dog laying next to me, so that makes things more <laughs> that's a proper vacation isn't it that's a proper vacation you well you are here to talk about today's sponsor today's sponsor is roughneck scarves our old favorite our longest running sponsor that's crazy but true and deservedly yep. so because they offer some amazing products they are the official scarf providers for u.s soccer major league soccer ncaa and the usl plus they offer the custom scarf option so if you need scarves for any event or for your supporters group or Maybe even for, you know, like, uh, I think you're starting on your own. And you can, maybe you want to like, support your own club team by having a scarf. You can do that with the custom scarf option, courtesy of Roughneck Scarves. And they first started sponsoring the Total Sock Show back in 1929. They stuck with us through That's the Wall right. Street crash and beyond. Yep. And we're happy that they're still sponsoring us. You mentioned the... Yeah. Uh, I mean, World War II, they kept making scarves. It yeah. was the whole thing. They were supposed <laughs> to be using materials for that. Yeah, they the government anyway. said, no, we need those for uniforms and ammunition. But Roughneck kept making soccer scarves. <laughs> That's yes, how committed yes, they are. It's, only, it's a lesser-known product. Bullet <laughs> like you said, there's obviously there's lots of team scarves that you can buy at roughneckscarves.com. Use the discount code TOTALSOCCERSHOW for 20% off any of those. But you can yeah. also design a custom scarf. I put it out into the world and asked Twitter, if you were to design a custom Roughneck scarf to prepare for the Premier League season, what would oh it look like? Taylor, you haven't seen the responses, have you? I haven't, but I feel like at least one of them is going to be at the expense of Manchester United, so I just like them all. <laughs> okay, so I can't read all of them. There's like, uh, I only put this out a few minutes ago, and we've got 20 already. So I'm going to just try and, I'll pick a few that stand out, and you uh, give me your response. I essentially, I essentially want you to judge them. Let me know how, let me know how we're doing. Um, right. First uh, custom scarf will be designed by Ira Jersey. We know Ira Jersey, who's uh, an Aston Villa fan because uh, he at least lived in Birmingham. Um, on one side, the Aston Villa logo and the phrase "We're staying up." On the other side, the Aston Villa logo and the phrase "We'll be back." <laughs> oh, that's that's good. That's that's practical scarf making right there. You yeah. flip it around based on uh, your feeling in the moment, or or maybe the team's performance on the field. Oh, I imagine like an en masse all Villa fans flipping the scarf over on the final day of the season <laughs> after time and Mink scores an own goal. That's so <laughs> depressing, but also sort of like it should be like similar to, I think, I feel like we're done with Hank Tottering him today or whatever it was, but like it feels like that sort of thing. I'm like, oh, this is it. We're all flipping the scarves around. Now instead of we're staying up, we'll be back. What a sad uh, day. But also, at least we got to do a thing together as a team. Here's another one from Mark Asher Goodman. Mark Asher Goodman says, as an Arsenal fan, it'd just have to say, there's nothing wrong with fourth on one side. And on the other side, it would say, I'm fine. Fine, all caps. All right? Question mark. <laughs> I mean, uh, I would happily take fourth. I'm in the Carl Anka boat on that one when it yeah. comes to the team that I, I support. So, yeah. 
I think well, uh, fourth is a good goal to have, for sure. This is the problem, right? Arsenal and Man United can't both have it. Um, Costa Cayagas Costa Cayagas says he would have outlines of boxes on one side. Do you get that reference, Taylor? Uh, VAR, I'm assuming? Yeah, VAR in the Premier League. And managers getting booked on the other. <laughs> I forgot that's happening this season. Yeah, that's going to happen a lot. There's going to be some uh, frustrated managers, some suspensions, and a lot of... I, I am sad Jose Mourinho isn't around for the VAR era because he would give us some like great talking points and a lot of, like, I can say nothing. I'm not allowed to talk. <laughs> I will say nothing about this. So there are no Man United ones. I guess Man United is just not relevant anymore. Good. So there are no Man United tweets. Or maybe people don't want to I upset mean, people don't want to upset you while you're on vacation. Or just low hanging fruit. This is too easy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that's also a possibility. Here's one from Rowdy maybe, Fraser. Maybe, maybe that's a, here. I'll do that. I'll do that one for you. It should be uh, low hanging fruit with Edward Ward still struggling to get it. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> he's, a, he's aiming for the branches where there is no fruit, bypassing the lower the lower fruit. That's what I'm going to go with. That's my scarf for Edward Ward. Man United. Do you have time for one more? Um, it's from Rowdy Fraser. Rowdy Fraser says, in honour of Tottenham, all on the deadline day transfer rumours on one side. So in honour of Tottenham, (laughs) all of the deadline day transfer rumours printed on one side. On the other side is the deadline day completed transfers, so most likely blank. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's a clever way to just have a blank scarf that you don't have to then pay like extra design costs on. (laughs) It's a pretty pretty meta way to go about doing it. I like that. Although I I feel like there's more good something else. The, the windows over. I saw a Lo Celso uh, today. So Lo Celso, they're still. Uh, where are we on Dybala at this point? Is I don't know. Twitter, Twitter seemed convinced it had already happened yesterday. Twitter was convinced it was it had gone yeah. through, and then it, it didn't mm-hmm. quite go through. So don't have to call Nathan, Nathan Clark for an extra an extra preview just yet. Um, I do have one final one, Taylor, that references both Wolves and Manchester United. Are you ready? It's mm-hmm. from it. Keith Kambach. Keith Kambach mm-hmm. says the Wolves logo superimposed with the Portuguese flag on one side um, uh, and Leicester laughing all the way to the bank from the Harry Maguire transfer on the other. Yours, yours seem nicer than mine. <laughs> I think they're both little jabs. Uh, I mean, they are. I said, like, look how many great players you have. <laughs> and the one from my team is like, you guys suck at business. <laughs> All right, so we can't read all the responses. They actually, I'm, I'm like seeing some of them. They're all good, but we don't have time to read all of them out. Um, we do have time to say, obviously, if you want to make a custom scarf, go to roughneckscarves.com. Order yourself a custom scarf. You can like raise money for your nonprofit or your your club team or your kids team or whatever you want to do. If you want to just buy one of the scarves that are in the shop, it could be like a national team scarf or you know a team scarf, an MLS scarf or something like that. Go to roughneckscarves.com. Use the discount code Total Soccer Show, all one word for twenty percent off. That's right. Thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode and for being our longest running sponsor. That is very cool and uh, makes me very happy. Uh, also making me happy is that uh, I don't have to talk anymore because now we can go back to Daryl uh, <laughs> talking about all things Arsenal. Yep, here's uh, Zito Madu talking about Arsenal. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what about the um, the one thing I'm interested in with Arsenal well is the the number of youngsters that seem to be about to become first-team regulars. And I'm thinking of like Reese Nelson, Emil Smith-Rowe, Joe Willock, uh, Eddie Nketiah, I think has been getting some, uh, some pre-season games. Um, are there any youngsters that you're particularly excited about? Any youngsters that you think could really just be like, I'm a first 11 player this year? Well, Reese Nelson is like legitimately a first 11 player. Right? He went to, where was he at? Frankfurt? I want to say Hoffenheim. Yeah, it was like like he was just in Germany. He was like playing really well. He was like their player of the season for like the first half season. 
but he's a young player, right? And like what you expect from young players is inconsistency. And so after that hot start, of course he starts to cool off. But he's a legitimately good player. And he's also one of those players that like you don't want to not give chances to because what you'll end up having is a Serge Nabry situation. Yeah. Where they know that they're good enough and you're not playing them and so they'll leave for another team and then next thing you know they're playing for Byron and you're still struggling with the old wall cut. Nobody wants that again. <laughs> And so, like, I think Reese Nelson is, like, a legit, like a very good player. I think, like, Eddie Eddie is good, right? Like, he's one of those players that I, I've seen him a lot in the League Cup. I've seen him uh, when he played in the league. And he's, like, legit. Like, he's very good at scoring goals. And, he's a, like, he's a good up-and-coming striker. So, I think he's somebody that you keep at the club or you loan out to another Premier League team just to make sure that he gets, like, playing time. And I like Joe Willock a lot especially for midfield, because he he gives that quality that I was talking about, Ramsey, of he can take the ball forward. Yeah. And uh, who else? Oh, God, Emil, Emil Smith-Rowe was a name that came up? Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated with him, right? Because I've, I've seen his name so much, and I've seen him play a little bit, but he's still like very much a known, like an unknown quality as a young player. And then Arsenal's had a billion of those players who were like, very promising, and you watch them, and you're just like, oh, this guy's going to be amazing. And next thing you know, they're playing in uh, playing in Scotland and then going to MLS. <laughs> and so, like, I like him a lot, but I, you know, he's a young player at Arsenal, and those are never guaranteed. Here's the big question: uh, What does a successful season look like for Arsenal? I'm guessing title challenges is a little too far. Um, so, what, what, yeah, what does success look like for Arsenal next year? I would like us to get back to Champions League because I don't like this whole Europa League thing that we're doing. <laughs> like, I I appreciate that we've taken, like, a, a few years of gap, like, just exploring things, seeing how the rest of the world works. But I would like to go back to losing to Barcelona and Bayern, Bayern Munich <laughs> you've in seen the Champions you, League. You've seen enough of Eastern Europe. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've I've seen enough of it, right? Like, I, I've, I've had enough of our players not being able to play in the game because of, like, war. <laughs> right. So, oh yeah. I want I want the Champions League then back, and I I like it's always I think Arsenal could potentially as it as we have in the last few years just win the FA Cup again. Yeah, like that should just seem to be our competition for a little bit, <laughs> and so like winning an FA Cup or something like that, and then like getting back to Champions League, like having a legitimately good season where we could look at it and see. Like, okay, these players are good. We have an identity again, and we're doing well, and we're back in the place that we should be as a club, rather than what last year was, where I think the most infuriating thing that happened last season was the last five games where we just had to win one to get, like, third or fourth place. And yeah. we, like, we, we lost four out of five and drew against Brighton. <laughs> and it was, the, it was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen at the club. So it's... I would just like Arsenal to have an identity, a playing style. Yeah. And then I think if there's a, a certain style to it, that if there's a style of play to Arsenal and it enhances the quality of the players rather than forcing them to try to fit into a particular style, then I think Arsenal will easily get back in the top four. So yeah, I, I think it is that like that last season, you really did see an Arsenal team where we look back in it and we can't say what the plan was or what the style was. And you kind of need that as a yeah. foundation, I think, right, to build a really successful Premier League team. So are you saying mm. that one of, one of the things for this upcoming season would be just to be able to say, OK, this is what Arsenal do. 
it's somewhat successful. These players are doing it, and then that's like that's the foundation to you know to build for the next few years. Yeah, exactly. It's like you need that. Otherwise, you just even even with Chelsea last season, they were they struggled a lot. But like Sarri had a vision of what he wanted to play, and even when they fell, they still didn't fell as badly as Arsenal did. <laughs> <laughs> well, they at least they were building up to something. So this year they're they're going to be interesting, and I think a lot of the bigger teams are in a transition way, in a transition period, the way Arsenal was last season. And so this is the perfect time to get back into the top four. You can, you can do better than Chelsea. You could do better than Manchester United. And I don't like Tottenham has already determined what they are. And they're very good. Like Pochettino is very good at getting the players to play in the way that he wants. Yeah. And you know, for most of the, like Tottenham spur, like Tottenham, Manchester City and Liverpool have an identity. And because they have that identity, they, they're so, it's, it's only so far that they can fall off. Even when like Tottenham was struggling with so many injuries, they were still competent in what they were trying to do. Arsenal just doesn't have that yet, and I really hope that we get that next season. All right, so maybe the team that finishes fourth for that, you know, that final Champions League spot is the team out of United, um, uh, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea that establishes an identity and looks like they know what they're doing, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah. Is there any sort of big Arsenal thing that I haven't asked you about? Like, Because obviously you're sort of more clued into what's happening with Arsenal than I am. Is there anything that I should you expected me to ask you about and I didn't? Uh, I don't think so. It's, just, it's transfer season right now, so we're just linked to everybody and it's driving me insane. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any rumour that like you that actually gets you excited? Any rumour that doesn't turn you to, cause you to turn your phone over? Like anything that you want to see uh, happen? Yeah, yeah. I forgot who we were linked to. It was a defender. I think he plays in France or something. It's, it's just like whenever we're linked to like capable defenders, right? I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> Do it. But when we're not, I'm just like, I don't want, yeah. I'm like, I don't care how much this costs. Make it happen. But when we're linked to people like Louise, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to pretend that I don't see this and just give back to my nice little summer vacation that I'm having. <laughs> What, one rumor I saw was uh, Umtiti from Barcelona, uh, who's fallen out of favor there, maybe going to Arsenal. He would fall in the capable that, defender that category, been, right? Yeah, that would have been wonderful. But I think Barcelona are just going to keep him now. Like Umtiti is a really, really good defender. He's like, and I, like I've talked about him uh, two seasons ago. Like, he's such a good passer out the back, and he's very like composed on the ball. So if he would have came to Arsenal, I would have been elated to have a player like him at Arsenal. But of course, like Barcelona are greedy and they're going to keep everybody but Coutinho. So. The other guy I saw was Rugani, who I don't know so much about, but isn't he a, a Juventus defender that they're expected to become like the next big Juventus defender? But it, it hasn't he, quite happened yet. Yeah, he's one of those like stalled, uh, like stalled, not youth, but like he's a he's one of those defenders who hasn't lived up to his potential. But he's still he's still a very capable defender. If he came in, he's better than like the options that we have now. Right. You see, so you're not, you're not a fan of Mustafi. We we established that earlier. Well, how do you feel about Socrates? Socrates, I like Socrates, but he's also like very capable of doing very stupid stuff. <laughs> right. I, 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 it might. This is what I'm determining at this point that it might not be the defenders themselves. Like, even though they have that quality of being dumb, but it might just be something inherent in Arsenal because this has been the longest running theme of Arsenal is, or like in the modern era, is that the defense is shambolic. 
Like, I remember Fabregas saying, making that comment that we had, like, schoolboy defending. Yeah. And ever since then, it's just been the same thing. Like, no matter who we put back there, it's just always bad. Oh, maybe maybe Sask put a curse on Arsenal's defending. I know. Never <laughs> trust that, man. <laughs> um, Zito, before, uh, before we say goodbye, um, what have you been writing recently? And where have you been writing? So where can people, where can people read what you're doing? And what, what, are you, what have you got in the works? Um, just at SB Nation as always. I'm a staff writer there. And I think recently I just wrote about Alejandro Bedoya, the MLS player who, like, he scored a goal against DC United and he went, he took a, a microphone that was on the field and he yelled for Congress to do something about gun violence. Yeah. And so I wrote about Bedoya's demand for ending gun violence and, and how radical it was considering that MLS has tried to be non-political. Yeah. So I wrote about the the naive idea of remaining non-political in a world where politics basically consumes everything. Yeah, and, and how the, MLS is going to find itself in a weird position very soon. Yeah, so MLS, I noticed that the club was supportive of Bedoya. Jim Curtin, the coach, was supportive. MLS just put out a statement that was essentially, we understand that players have opinions and we support their right to express it kind of thing. It was deliberately uh, not taking a side which is weird right because you should be against people being murdered yeah and but the thing is they can't because of their whole mantra because of their whole like idea of what they want to be they can't actually take a side so they want to remain non-political and i think in the article i write about it is a week before that incident happened don garber gave a interview to espn where he said that mls doesn't want to be political at all and if they take one side then they have to allow the other side which is the most ridiculous type of like both sidism yeah and so they just and so i wrote about like the danger of that with the proud boys being coming into the stadiums and like harassing and intimidating other fans is if you determine that you're going to be passive that instead of that creating a space that you want politics not to enter like people your fans and your players are live political lives which means that you're by remaining passive you're giving them free reign to every type of every type of politics to come in so you're saying that you don't want any type of politics and you're not going to really choose a side. And so the Proud Boys could come in there as long as you're not like, like actively waving Nazi flags or whatever. Yeah. And they can intimidate fans and they can do whatever they want and nobody touches them because you've determined that you're not going to do anything about it. And, and then it's also like the fact that it's a very naive idea that because you've, because you've said that you're going to remain not political, that somehow the lives of your fans and the lives of your players are going to like be non-political as well. Like your lives doesn't change just because you've made that declaration. And so what you have with Bedoya is like somebody who's affected because he grew up like 15 miles away from the, from the Douglas shooting yeah, last year. In Florida. Yeah. And so he has like a person. Yeah. So he has a personal relationship with these things. And uh, especially now in the world where it's just an absurd amount of violence when it comes to like mass shootings it's 250 plus this year alone. And so it comes to the point where somebody like him is going to make a statement using his biggest platform. And eventually like the absurd nature of the world and the political nature of the world is going to supersede your little, your little drive to be non-political. Like you're a huge entity and you have, you bring together different types of people. You just like, there's just no way that you could play this like facade of not taking a stance on anything because the people that enjoy your stuff are political people by nature. And so it's like, 
it, the, in the article, I just talk about like, while I sympathize with what they want to do, which is create a space in this world that people can enjoy without having to deal with real world issues. But at the same time, real world issues are going to respect that wish. Like it's yeah. going to encroach on you because politics and humanity supersede football every single time. Did you see the uh, the video from Seattle of, I'm not sure what the group was, but it was an extreme right-wing group, essentially trying to infiltrate and I think an Emerald City supporters uh, pre-match Yeah, yeah, when they event. were harassing the fans walking yeah. into the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it made me think that, so I'm, I'm guessing that it's what you were referring to, though you didn't say it specifically, the, uh, the whole thing of Seattle asking the fans to take down the Iron Front flag, which is the anti-Nazi flag. And I think uh, yeah. what, one of the things I think you were getting at is if you try to say you're apolitical, you're essentially showing the loophole to the extreme right-wing groups. You're saying, hey, here's the loophole you could sneak through. If you like, just don't say anything yeah. political, you can come and do your heinous extreme right-wing stuff and we won't have any tools to stop you. So it's almost like letting your guard down or giving the password away uh, to, yeah. to these dangerous and it's groups. Just like, I'm not going to do anything to you as long as you're not like overtly waving flags or whatnot. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's giving them a wink. Like As long as you follow like this little thing guideline you could do whatever you want and so when these like extreme right wing like extreme like white nationalists come in it, it doesn't change what they are right like just because they're not waving the flags doesn't mean that they don't let everybody else know who they are yeah and it doesn't mean that they don't harass your other fans right as long as they're not being overtly violent you're like the other fans know what these people are and they know what they're doing there, right? So, and even if they're not in the stadiums, right? They're they're waiting for fans outside the stadiums and they're harassing them. And so now you've like created this loophole of, as long as you don't like be overtly political, we won't punish you. And now you just like, well, everybody's welcome here, including like bigot bigotry, right? And so it, it it's just this weird thing of like pass like you can't be passive about. You can't be passive about creating a safe space, right? If you want to create a safe space for soccer, if you want football to be a place where everybody feels welcome and like a, a place that's comforting to people, then you are going to have to be, you have to exclude certain beliefs, yeah. which is you have to exclude bigotry, right? Like you can't fly the rainbow flag in the same place where Proud Boys are in. You can't fall for the fascist talking point of your tolerance has to be tolerant of my intolerance, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you just can't fall for that. Like that's that's how they'll sneak in and destroy everything that you've worked hard to create. Maybe one upside is if if MLS won't be overt, um, won't be like overtly on the right side. Uh, at least if they're not going to stop players speaking out the way Bedoya did and the way Jim Curtin supported him, maybe MLS will at least create a space where players feel comfortable. Um, expressing expressing views that are, you know, uh, in favor of a better society? Well, like last year, I think it was like last year, Black History Month, I talked to a couple of, I did something for MLS, actually. I talked to a couple of black players. Like it was one that was retired, one that was young, and one that was like actually still playing. I, I think one of them was Kellen Acosta because me and him are like actual friends. All right. I and so that. I talked to them about, yeah, so I talked to them about like what they feel you know, what, like, the changes that they want to see in the league, blah, blah, blah. But one recurrent theme was, like, they didn't they didn't feel entirely empowered to speak on certain issues because of the league's, like, apolitical stance. Yeah. 
And so it, it creates this weird thing of like, you know, the league is, doesn't want political messages or doesn't want to talk about things like race overtly. And so like, even if you're a player who feels that way, you don't feel really empowered to do it. And you don't really want to put your, like, you don't want like a target on your back or to put your like career in jeopardy by coming out for it, which is like so different from somewhere like the NBA, which who is like, okay, you could, our players are human beings and they have like these ideas and thoughts, blah, blah, blah. Right. And we're all about inclusiveness. Like the NBA has a certain, like certain things that it is completely for, right. Which is diversity inclusion, which is like helping people is, you know, things that you would naturally associate with the betterment of like humanity. Yeah. We're talking like LeBron James school kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it empowers his players to do that. And especially the union empowers the players to speak out. Right. So in like the NBA, you will have a player called Trump an idiot. And there's no like, there's no sinister background actions to try to silence that player. And you'll have someone like Steve Kerr or someone like Greg Popovich come out when like, okay, we're, speak out openly about gun violence and doesn't have to do it on, it doesn't have to be a radical thing like the Bedoya one was, right? Because they feel very comfortable saying these things or even like having full conversations about these things, right? As long as you're not having like white nationalist opposing views, you can have a full conversation about these things. So in the NBA, that's possible. In, in MLS, like MLS has been, I think for a long time. And this is a thing that differs it from like the NBA, even NFL. And the, but like the M, the MLS was always been, and I think soccer in America has always been very middle class, right? Or like very upper middle. So especially now you're 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 still fighting for like diversity or like even scouting neighborhoods that aren't just like suburbs. And so what you have is like the the people in power have very like very particular opinions, right? But rather than opening it up, they're just going to go with the non-political nature of it. Like nobody gets to speak about anything rather than the fact that like probably a lot of a lot of the politics of MLS people in the powers that be aren't really the type of politics you want to put out in the open. And so I think that's a problem that MLS is dealing with is that it is just not the type of sport that like the NBA is. And so it doesn't empower its players in the same way that the NBA does, or even like other, other places, other uh, countries when it comes to football, right? Like England is so much better at even like with all of England's problem, they at least talk about like Raheem Sterling could come out openly against racism in a way that you haven't seen a player in MLS do in a long time, except for like someone like Eddie Johnson. Right. And he ends up being like a, a martyr for it. And so like MLS is very, very scared of getting into these things because of its own makeup and its own history. So and it doesn't really like it knows what type of sport it is. And so it doesn't want to exclude a certain demographic of people. Like If you start talking about race and you start talking about like things like politics, right, you're going to eventually rub up against those upper middle class people who fuel your sport. And so it's just this weird position that MLS exists in that I think is very particular to it. And they're very scared of like having those discussions because of it. All right. Well, I'll make sure to put a link to that story's published, right? The story that, that you wrote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll make sure to put a link yeah, to that yeah. in the show notes. And I assume if I do a bit of Googling, I can easily find uh, what, the thing you did for Black History Month with the three players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like MLS Black History Month. It should be <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, I'm good enough at the Googles to uh, to, to find that. So yeah, <laughs> links to both of those both of those stories will be in today's uh, show notes. I want to close by uh, Zito just saying thank you uh, for taking taking the time away from reading your book uh, to talk to me about uh, Arsenal <laughs> and in the end MLS and politics, which is a really um, a really good conversation that I'd been meaning to have with Taylor, but he's out of the office, so I didn't think I'd get to talk about that this week. So thank you for uh, thank you for bringing that up. Oh, no problem at all. And best of luck. I'm saying this to every team, so uh, but, but best of luck to Arsenal this season. I, I really hope it goes well because uh, a good Arsenal is fun to watch. Yeah, I, I would love it. <laughs> it would make my life so much easier. 